0: With Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 154 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling. I am joined by my co host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you, Michael?
0: I, I hope I'm doing well. <laughs> um, if you if you listen to last week's episode, you know that I had surgery on my throat on Friday, and there you. If 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 my throat sounded to you like it just did to me, my voice. I'm that's why, yeah. um, and I'm recovering this week. So this is a pre-recorded show. Yeah, and so I, I'm hoping I am doing well. So we, we took you, you know, backstage. What's yes. going on in the show? But, but we're we're here approaching a new month. Should I, boy? You know, this year has seemed quick, and it seemed it seems long at the same time. It, I, I just feel like we've lived half a lifetime in 2020. Yep. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Anyway, but. There's some good programs there's a few good programs coming on Disney plus yeah I still feel they need to up their um, they need to up their content what they're releasing but they were they are releasing a lot there's some stuff I'm not too sure what it is some of the series and I really didn't look them up to see but there's a few things I'm I'm looking forward to and uh, well of course I think most of us are looking forward to Hamilton on July 3rd mm-hmm so, uh this is the only way I'm going to be able to afford to see this. <laughs> I think it's on Disney Plus. So, uh but um I've been told that it's a good idea to listen to the soundtrack first because uh, I guess the patter can get so fast it's easy to miss the lyrics.
1: Um, so, um
0: so I still have to do that.
1: Yeah, I would, you know, the the hard part is if you were talking about going to <clears throat> To actually see it at a theater, I would a hundred percent say listen to it first, so that way you can know the songs and then mm-hmm. actually hear it well. Because even in the best theater, you know you're you're bound to miss some stuff because you know sometimes microphones can shift and levels can can drop out, and so you can have little little mistakes like that. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that the mix is completely perfect, like CD quality. On Disney Plus, and for that reason, I feel like it should be one of those experiences that you don't have to have any prior experience with the the actual um, the actual musical to get it all. But I will say the the nice part about seeing it and listening to it the first time, like I listened to it before I saw it on on uh, at our theater here in Orlando. But I had I had pretty much had the entire show memorized but the problem is a couple of the characters it was my ears are so bad that i was unable to distinguish differences in voices and then once i actually saw it with my eyes and i could like differentiate like okay it's that person singing that line and that one that line then it just all clicked and now i can't unhear it so i uh, i don't know if other people have that problem though i like other shows I've listened to that I haven't seen in person. I've needed the same thing. I've needed to listen to it like 10 times to start differentiating <laughs> voices. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just bad at that. But I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think, um, I, I think that it's, you'd probably be fine just watching it fresh for the first okay. time. In my opinion,
0: Yeah. Well, I'm very excited to see this and, uh, cause I love history and uh, I just watched a well, it was a few weeks ago. They did a great series. I, I think it was the History Channel. They did a great series on Grant. It was really well done. They did one on Washington earlier in the year. And the Grant one was, I thought, really exceptional. I so, have not uh, watched it yet. Worth but seeing.
1: Yeah, it's on my list.
0: Yeah. Oh, you'll like it. I think you'll really like it anyway okay of course july 17th i was hoping to be at disneyland this year for the 65th anniversary this is going to be the first um you know anniversary of that park i'm going to miss but you know just with covid and everything that's going on i just thought it'd be best if i um missed it this time Uh, maybe i'll go later on you know in the year um Anyway, but July 17th, they are going to be showing a pre-opening report from Disneyland that Walt gave on his Disneyland show. And uh, and the Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World. So that should be... Uh, those two episodes should be good. I wish they would have more of, the, of Walt's show on. More episodes of that. And then for some reason, I, I'm really interested in seeing The Lost City of Machu Picchu. Just because I've heard so much about it. So I assume this is on National Geographic.
1: Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's what it seems like most of their content is lately, is National yeah. Geographic. Uh-huh. I noticed that.
0: But uh, I-, I just think that would be interesting to watch. July 31st, I think you're probably a little more excited than I am about this, but I'm very excited. And that's the new series, Muppets Now. And
1: I am. Yeah, I'm excited for it. So <laughs> I'm you know, it's. I don't think it's going to be anything groundbreaking, but I. I am excited for it. Well, I can't figure out what it is. They say it's an
0: unscripted show. It's. I thought. Okay, so what does that mean?
1: You know, I. So yeah. I'm, I'm not too sure what it is. That's. I'm not. I'm not positive either. But I mean, I. I know technically they. You know they can do improv. We we know that because mm-hmm. if you ever watch the outtakes from any any Muppet related uh, any Muppet related content that's out there, uh, they they are actors. They're performers. They know how to think on their toes. So and once they get oh, to yeah. that level, that they they know where where their mark is and where their eye lines are for the the Muppets and such. It's very. It's very easy for them so I I have no doubts that they're able to actually do really creative fun improv in the moment episodes but Mm -hmm. it's just it's just will it feel more like YouTube filler content or will it feel like something that is something that I want to come to Disney Plus for and watch that's where I'm feeling a little hesitant
0: yeah I, I just hope they can find the right vehicle I hope this is it Because, you know, I loved the Muppet Show, the old Muppet Show. Are they bringing... Do they own that? Are they bringing that to Disney Plus someday?
1: Well, they struggled with the DVD rights. They technically do own the distribution rights, but... Like many things uh, that you and I especially talk about off mic, I know they've struggled with the music and the estates uh, to the point that, um. like, with The Muppet Show they released on DVD the first three seasons, they had the fourth one announced, and, like, they even showed off the, the cover art for it and everything, but then it just never released, and the fifth one they never even bothered mention mentioning at all with it, so it just kind of dissipated, but... I it, it was hard enough to get it on DVD, so I just don't know if they're going to. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to get the streaming aspect of it figured out because it just and no one no one foresaw streaming in the right. in the seventies. So yeah, too bad that was just such a delightful show. I- I've liked
0: just about everything they've done, so I wish I wish Disney could find the right thing for them. And then I want to see Hidden Kingdoms of China because I've been to China. It's fortunate enough to go with the Diz on one of their um, special, you know, adventures by Disney tours. But um, so I just want to see it, see what it is. I, I I'm curious to see how these kingdoms are hidden and how they found them if they're hidden. <laughs> so anyway, so is there anything else on your list
1: from Disney Plus in July, Craig? I think you you covered everything for the most part that I was excited about for for July. I mean, Hamilton is probably going to be the thing I watch most on it. So I still I still mm-hmm. love that show, and I I love I love that I'll be able to put it on in the background and and just kind of turn my head and, and watch it, but still be able to listen to it, just like I listen to the cast album on my computer while I'm working and stuff. So excited about that of course the other classics so it's uh you know it's I'm I'm just still with you that I wish this stuff would be released at more of a rapid rate especially while new content isn't really being able to be developed and placed on here now is the time that they should be able to be falling back on that classic content that they have ready to go
0: yeah I agree I agree with you well we'll see we'll see what else they bring out Since I guess they've started work on everything again, or they're about to. I guess filming's resuming now on stuff. So anyway, good. Well, when Disneyland opened in 1955, guests were able to explore several realms. You know, Main Street USA, Adventureland, Frontierland, Tomorrowland, and Fantasyland. Fantasyland was the park's foundation and the realm most closely associated with Walt Disney. It was here that guests could relive moments from Walt Disney's animated films. Now, Walt's connection with Peter Pan goes back to when he was a boy in Marceline, Missouri, and a small touring company performed a stage play. Walt saw it and became enamored with the story which is a perfect combination of fantasy and adventure. In 1924 Walt saw a silent film version of Peter Pan that had many state of the art special effects like small live action pixies and a flying pirate ship. In the 1930s Walt started thinking about telling the story of Peter Pan as an animated film based on the story by J M Barrie. So when Walt described a visit to Fantasyland, he said, What youngster hasn't dreamed of flying with Peter Pan over moonlit London? Here is the happiest kingdom of them all. You can journey through the dark forest to the diamond mine of the Seven Dwarfs, flee the clutches of Mr. Smee and Captain Hook with Peter Pan, and race with Mr. Toad in his wild auto ride through the streets of old London town. Well, just a few years after the debut of Walt Disney's 14th animated feature, 1955's Peter Pan, guests would be offered that same opportunity as Peter Pan, Wendy, John, and Michael to soar into the night sky and enter scenes from the film. The attraction amazed guests with music and scenes from the classic film. One concept guests had difficulty grasping was that the attraction placed riders into the point of view of the boy who refused to grow up. So Peter Pan himself was absent from early versions of the attraction. The storyline of Peter Pan's flight is very different from the other Fantasyland Dark Ride attractions. Snow White's Scary Adventure has the dark and sinister forest The coldness of the evil castle of the wicked queen and the threatening evil witch. Mr. Toad's wild ride takes guests on a perilous journey in a runaway motor car into the path of a locomotive, crashing through walls past falling crates and barrels, and finally ending up in hell. Alice in Wonderland has the confusing forests, an army of card deck soldiers with spears, and a queen who likes to behead those who annoy her and an explosion at the very end. Pinocchio takes guests to Pleasure Island where they barely avoid turning into donkeys and getting swallowed by Monstro the Whale before escaping back to Geppetto's workshop. All of these attractions focus on the villains and menacing aspects of their stories, Whereas Peter Pan's Flight takes guests through some of the more positive elements of the story, like flying past London's Big Bend towards the second star to the right and straight on till morning. The story's villains, Captain Hook and Mr. Smee, are more comical than menacing in this attraction. Peter Pan's Flight is the attraction that has more beauty and wonder than the other opening day dark rides. Peter Pan's Flight and the other opening day Fantasyland attractions at Disneyland were designed and installed within very tight deadlines. Disney artist Herb Ryman's 1954 concept scenes for the attractions depicted a mermaid's lagoon and a huge rainbow and 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 which ended up not being included. His plans showed the queue as London Street fronts which would enclose guests as they waited to board their pirate ships. In August 1954, Imagineer Marvin Davis drew up a plan called Peter Pan Pan Fly-Through, and it had scenes that included Hangman's Tree and Crocodile Creek. And in this layout, the pirate ships took guests through an opening in Skull Rock's face. Like Herb Ryman's design, the track path would guide the boats in a clockwise direction, the opposite of what would ultimately be constructed. Late in 1954, mechanical effects supervisor Bob Matty and others at the studio built a test track and ride mock-up in a special effects shop building at the studio because the prefabricated buildings to house the dark rides at Disneyland had not yet been built along both sides of the castle courtyard. The Cleveland Tram Rail Company created the elevated track and drive mechanisms for the pirate ships. Each was powered with a one-horsepower electric motor with a gearbox in front of the wheeled trolley carriage. The carriages were located above the ships and rested on a single rail, which hung from steel supports along the ceiling of the building. The carriages used a friction drive with a pinch-drive wheel system, which permitted the ships to climb or descend as the track plan required. The ships were attached to the carriage by their front and rear masts. The attraction's track system was divided into electrical blocks, with each ship moving into the next unoccupied section. The system was extremely loud and full of problems, which resulted in regular redesigning and maintenance until all the issues were eventually worked out. There were originally nine ships, with a tenth held in reserve, and each ship was able to carry two to three guests. The pirate ships were seven feet long and four and a half feet wide. They were cast in fiberglass from molds taken from an original clay sculpture by Chris Mueller, and they weighed 250 pounds. Mueller based his sculpture on a small model by Bruce Bushman. The smaller model lacked detail, so Mueller stepped in and created the more ornate prototype sculpture. The early versions of the ships featured alternate colors, some red and white, some black and red, with skulls and crossbones on the inside of the sail surfaces, glaring at the guests inside the boats. The sails were designed to block guests' view of the steel track and trolley system so they would not be aware of what was holding them up above London and Neverland. Unlike the Snow White and Mr. Toad ride vehicles, the the ships were not individually named, and they were just simply numbered 1 through 10. Each ship has a pronounced keel that extends downward along the length of the hull. This was held in a slot along the floor in the loading and unloading area, so the ships would remain stable as guests climbed on and off. When the ships began their ascent through the nursery window and out above London, the ships could be made to swing sideways, which soon became popular with younger guests. Imagineer Bob Gurr recalled a time when a ship was made to rock so wildly that an external release pedal on the outside of the ship's hull became stuck in the attraction building's drywall, causing the whole attraction to shut down. Bill Martin, the art director of Disneyland, completed a tentative track layout of Peter Pan's flight in November 1954, which showed the the attraction as it would be built with the attraction vehicles flying counterclockwise from London to Neverland. By March 1955, just four months from the park's opening day, Disney artists Ken Anderson and Claude Coates are working overtime on the Fantasyland attractions. They had both worked on the feature film, so they knew the look, the story, and the key scenes, which was good because there wasn't a lot of time for preliminary planning. After the flying pirate ship conveyance had been tested and the issues resolved, installation in the new show buildings at Disneyland began. The show scene models had been created in advance, but much of the show detailing had to be done on site. Now, Peter Pan differed from the other Fantasyland Dark Ride attractions because of its limited use of plywood flats for scenery. They were used in the initial bedroom scene and the London rooftops. However, since guests had to fly above, around, and past large visual elements like Skull Rock and Neverland, it was necessary to create these scenes fully realized in three dimensions. When Fantasyland opened, the realm was decorated with a medieval theme. The exteriors of the attractions were similar with pastel-colored awnings, flags and banners hanging from Lance Point flagpoles, and signs and placards made from swords and shields. The attraction ticket booths and entrance canopies recalled the colorful striped fabric from the carnivals or jousting events from the Middle Ages. Each facade still managed to be unique, thanks to the colorful murals on the exterior concrete walls by Ken Anderson and Claude Coates. These huge and detailed paintings reminded guests of the film's main characters and scenes and prepared them for the attraction inside. The mural on Peter Pan's flight was spectacular. From the left, guests saw a huge and leering skull rock then mermaids splashing in their lagoon and then pirate cove and then character portraits that included peter pan wendy michael john indians the lost boys and assorted pirates and at the far right london town a bit obscured by a few clouds it is in this area That guests boarded their pirate ship and they would squeeze together on the single padded seat and reach to grab the curving bar in front of them as their pirate ship charges forward and off to Neverland. And here we go. (laughs) The first scenes of the attraction go by quickly. We are 8 feet 9 inches in the air and rise another 2 feet as we sail through an open window into the Darling family nursery. Within a 16-foot space, we see the children's beds, their toys, and Nana's wooden blocks along the right. On the wall to the left are portraits of the Darling family, Peter Pan, and Neverland, clues as to what is coming next. As the film's theme song plays, You Can Fly, we hear Peter Pan call out, Come on, everybody, here we go. We then see his shadow fly along the wall from right to left, past a barking Nana to join the animated Tinkerbell as our pirate ship follows out the other window in the far wall. The attraction then captures one of the film's most memorable scenes, flying high above London in the evening sky. As we fly out the nursery window, we feel a blast of air, and we rise another four feet. Our sense of height is increased by the quaint and crooked English structures on both sides of our ship that seem to drop away because they were built to a diminishing scale so as to get smaller and smaller as we fly higher. The previous scenes were lit by daylight, which is the term Imagineers use for incandescent lights. This scene is in darkness and glows with ultraviolet illumination and where guests first marvel at the glow of their garments under the ultraviolet light. Wire mesh clouds hover above and around our gliding pirate ship with countless stars glowing in the night sky with the moon shining down from a mural. A fog-like scrim obscures our upper vision and our ship flies an s-curve over old london town tiny rows of blacklit headlights and sounds from speakers along the floor let us know there is street traffic small three-dimensional versions of english landmarks like the tower bridge the thames river and saint paul's cathedral let us know we are following the same path as peter pan and the darling children. I think, I think this is what makes the attraction the most spectacular in Fantasyland. Is
1: just this scene. Oh yeah, no. It's uh, it's not even just. It's not the beauty of it. It's how it's such a simple effect can literally make you feel like you're transported into a complete different place and. It's like I, I know you just get mesmerized on it as a as a child in the, in these moments. But, you know, there's there's times when it's been a while in between rides on Peter Pan, Peter Pan's flight that it it throws me for a loop every time I get on it, even mm-hmm. still as an adult. It's just really, really marvelous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this
0: is where I, I really feel I'm transported as a character in the film so and not many attractions do that for me no,
1: no I would say it's uh if you can achieve that feat then that's the sign of a that's a sign of a great attraction and, and i I agree with you it 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 nails it yeah
0: yeah well now we reach our highest point in the attraction 16 feet nine inches from the floor as we swing around the big Ben clock tower the reversed perspective of the clock tower now it tapers back larger upward makes it seem taller than it really is now as we sail past big ben the tiny stars are replaced by floating multi-point crystals could this be pixie dust is this the second star to the right ahead of us we see tinkerbell flying in a circle and waiting to take us to neverland We then pass into darkness as our ship turns toward the center of the show building and we descend to 15 feet 9 inches before we climb again and our destination comes into view, Neverland. Nearly 15 feet long and built on a platform 2 feet above the floor, this huge model of Neverland is illuminated by greens, reds, and yellows. Our flight gives both sides of the pirate ship a good view of the island. We see Captain Hook's ship anchored and rocking gently in Pirate Cove, and the pirates singing, A Pirate's Life for Me, can be faintly heard. There are dense forests of miniature pine and palm trees growing around the tall mountains that are nearly as high as the pirate ships that are gliding past. The effects of rippling water and the cascading waterfalls and the red glow of lava from the mouth of the volcano was projected from behind. At the farthest tip of the island, we sail past the campfires and cone-shaped teepees of the Indian village. Our ship now turns left, away from Neverland, and is enfolded by darkness, clouds, and fabric scrim, and we glide to the attraction's final scene, Skull Rock. Here we see clusters of dangling bats moving above as we hear the sounds of seagulls. We head into a 28-foot dark straight corridor. Our ship in this area drops 4 feet to 12 feet 9 inches as we fly down toward the grim skull rock that is shrouded in fog. In this first version, the pirate ship seems to pass through the skull rock's left eye socket, but after 1960, ships sailed past the front of skull rock and into the grotto ahead inside Skull Rock, the rocky ledges are scattered with human skulls sticking out from the water and stone stalactites hung from above. Here we find Captain Hook and Mr. Smee with their Indian captive, Princess Tiger Lily, and we get a good look at these characters as our ship descends to 8 feet 9 inches into the grotto. We see Captain Hook standing atop a boulder on the left with his sword and hook "'extended, yelling, "'Shoot them down, Smee, shoot them down!' "'over the sound of the wind in the cavern. "'The clumsy and confused Smee "'in his rocking rowboat "'waves his blunderbuss at each passing ship. and "'Each time he fires, "'we can see a strobe light in his gun barrel "'and feel a noise beneath our seats. "'In our final turn before exiting, "'we then see the bright green and checkered "'tick-tock crocodile,' just waiting for captain hook to lose his balance animator frank thomas once said one of my biggest memories of the peter pan ride was when the ride first opened at the park and one of the flying boats broke down this elderly couple was riding in it and they were up there in this little sailboat they were flying along and they came to the place of in a ride where Captain Hook is yelling shoot them down, Smee, shoot them down. And all of a sudden pow! The car mechanism broke down and down they came and it spilled them on the ground. So they came out of the ride building rubbing their hips and saying, that's the greatest ride you have here. It's so realistic. And the park people asked, are you alright? Are you hurt? And they said, no, no, we love the ride. Can we go again? Hm. Can you imagine if that happened today? <laughs> <laughs> right. So that that is the 1955 version
1: of Peter Pan's flight. What do you think, Craig? I, I like that version. I mean, it's it it's just it's classic. So I feel like it hits all the right notes, and you know, it's very reminiscent still of, of what's what's there to this day, which again is a good sign of 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 an attraction that that definitely has a timelessness to it so i you know what i i wish i was on it back then but i wasn't alive
0: (laughs) yeah i'm sure i wrote it but i think by first memories of it they've already they'd already made some changes in 1960 but um yeah i mean i i do like how it you know because we were peter pan how involved we were with you know Captain Hook telling Smee to shoot at us, yeah, you know, and and all that. So I, I just think that uh, that I like, I, I love that aspect of it, and I wish that I don't know could if they ever redo the attraction again, it would be that would be a nice little feature to work in again.
1: It would into it, it and they could still leave parts of it where. You're watching the story unfold. You could still see Peter, but I wish, almost kind of like, uh, I would say it's a good equivalent. I don't know when the last time you've been on it, so it's probably been a while, but almost like how the E.T. adventure at Universal, how it starts with E.T., is at the front of your bikes, and he's in the basket mm-hmm. and with you. And then halfway through the attraction, once you get to his planet, then he becomes a character in the story, and you see him from the side. Even though you're still riding the story, it's you also see him as a, an outside character. But for a moment, he is within you. Like I, it would be cool if they could they could re reintroduce that to something like Peter Pan, where part of it it's is you're seeing the perspective from the person riding through the movie, but then at points in time, you're living the movie. So I would like that blend.
0: Yeah. Or it would be cool now, you know, that they do so much with projections and we'll get to that in a bit when we get to Shanghai. Uh, It would be cool if they could do something with projections where suddenly Peter Pan and Tinkerbell are like flying with us. And then Captain Hook says, shoot them down. Yeah. Me so shoot them down. Because then we're really a part of the story then, because we're flying with Peter and, and Tinkerbell. I would be okay with that.
1: I, I would yeah. like that, actually. Yeah, that would be neat.
0: Okay, well, in February 1971, Imagineers Bill Martin and Bill Justice had completed their drawings for the Magic Kingdom's Peter Pan attraction at Walt Disney World. In this new version, they expanded on Disneyland's version in several ways. The overall theme and format of the attraction remained the same. The attraction would have the latest audio-animatronic figures. And in addition to Captain Hook, Mr. Smee, and TikTok Crocodile, the Magic Kingdoms had Indians, the Lost Boys, and Pirates with varying degrees of animation and sound effects. Now guests would fly past action scenes from the film, including Wendy reading to her brothers in the nursery, Indians in their camp singing and beating drums, and high in the rigging of Hook's ship, a duel between Captain Hook and Peter Pan. And just like at Disneyland, the attraction would end in the Skull Rock Grotto, with Smee in a rowboat, but here Captain Hook was in a precarious position, just above the jaws of his nemesis, Tick Tock Crocodile Peter Pan's flight at the Magic Kingdom opened on October 1971 The attraction's facade is reminiscent of Disneyland's original facade. The show building is different in shape and the track configuration differs from the original. The attraction vehicles are newer, slightly larger vehicles. The track is an updated pipe rail system built by Arrow Development. The load-unload area has moving ramps, which brings guests alongside their pirate ships. Now, since the show building is larger, the scenes are larger, including the children's nursery and garden and Neverland. The Lost Boys camp and the Mermaid Lagoon have been added to Neverland. The most impressive new feature is Captain Hook's 48-foot pirate ship, complete with desk deck masts sails and rigging before the final scene guests fly across the ship's bow and find hook and peter pan up on the mainsail in a sword fight below them the lost boys are lashed to the mainmast as wendy prepares to walk the plank being prodded on by mean-looking pirates then the pirate ship curves back across the stern of the ship, where Peter Pan, Wendy, John, and Michael are at the wheel, ready to sail into the sky back to London. So, uh, so that's, that's the uh, Walt Disney World version. So it's, it's significantly different from Disneyland's, but has a lot of the original scenes. From the mm-hmm. Disneyland attraction, so so, what do you think of this one, Craig? This is the one you're more familiar with, the one you yeah, grew it, up with. It's uh, it,
1: it's not. I, I oh, this is it's a loaded question because I <laughs> I think I, I think I for me of the versions of Peter Pan's flight that I've been on, I I feel like this to me is the uh, is probably the the most um, complete, in my opinion. So, I... That's... I, I know that would be kind of sacrilege, but I just feel like... Um, I feel like all the elements together, are just, they are fleshed out more. And maybe maybe part of it mm-hmm. is that... if I don't know this for sure, but it feels like... Uh, it feels like there there's just a little bit more length to it as well. I, I could be mm-hmm. wrong on that, but... Uh, something something about it. I just feel like it has a better flow throughout the entire attraction.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely see what you mean. I like uh, the Magic Kingdom's version. You know, I've I, I preferred Disneyland's. A, mi- a lot of it because of what they've added to it more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the special effects that they haven't had an opportunity yet to add to the Magic Kingdom's. They ha- they've added some of them, but I'm sure that um, they will add more. But um, yeah, I, I I like the Magic Kingdoms as well because I think it does tell a little more of the story.
1: Yeah, and it's they're they're both good. They're both they're both mm-hmm. great attractions, and this one might be just one of those instances of I I actually I it's going to sound weird. I think I do Peter Pan's Flight more at Disneyland than at Walt Disney World just because I don't. I don't book fast passes out in advance a lot of times. I do as a local. I, I show up at the last second. And mm-hmm. so for that reason, I don't experience Peter Pan's flight a lot here in Walt Disney World, unless it's like a, a after hours or another uh, just like a random day where there's still plenty of fast passes available. Not that that matters uh, for the time being now, uh, as soon as the parks open up, but Uh, So I might start getting on it more often Before but yeah in the past it was It was a thing where Disneyland You know if, if I knew I rope dropped At Disneyland first thing in the morning I can get there I can get On with a 20 minute wait You know, maybe at worst 30 minutes, 40 minutes, but as long as you're there pretty quickly, then you're going to get in before it jumps up to an hour wait and sits at that wait for the entire rest of the day. So I I actually did. I do experience it at Disneyland more. So I feel like when I experience it at Walt Disney World, it's it has that freshness to me that I'm like, oh, it's I I Mm -hmm. forgot about this and that. So maybe I, I prefer it a little more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well speaking of freshness you know Walt Disney was never truly happy with some elements of Disneyland you know due to time and budget restrictions he didn't always, he didn't build some sections of the park the way he envisioned so of course they were improved as time went on Fantasyland was one of those realms he, the the tournament medieval tournament style facades really were done uh, for budgetary reasons they were quick and easy and fairly cheap to put together. So the time had come. By May of 1982, Disneyland's Fantasyland had begun its complete reimagining. Uh, senior ride designer and Imagineer Tony Baxter, with a team that included Ken Anderson, relocated some of the attractions to make way for expanded versions of the existing dark rides, as well as the addition of a new one. The This uh, beautiful, beautiful umrido of Fantasyland now resembled a rustic European village in the Alps rather than a medieval fair. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and Snow White's Scary Adventures moved their loading areas and partial murals indoors. The front wall of Peter Pan's flight was moved forward and continued to feature a colorful mural that depicted the characters from the film. During this renovation, the original pirate ship restaurant and Skull Rock were closed and removed to make way for the Dumbo the Flying Elephant attraction. But the riggings, lanterns, and other props from the restaurant were added to Peter Pan's flight. An audio-animatronic Peter Pan was also added to the attraction. The new larger pirate ship attraction vehicles, now 5 feet by 7 feet, Five inches were added to the attraction. The track system was updated, but the pathway through the main portion of the show building did not change. All the same turns, climbs, and descents were included in this version. So the ship leaves the load area, sails over fully realized London rooftops before entering the nursery and winds through the darling's nursery, passing Nana, the St. Bernard dog nursemaid, next to some toy blocks which spell Disney when read backwards. Now, there's some other things too that the blocks spell out. you have to take a look at those. They change periodically. Um, New audio-animatronic figures of Wendy, John, and Michael Darling are on the bed, and Peter Pan's shadow is on the wall. The additional space and additional track created when the front wall was moved forward was filled with scenes already familiar to guests of the Magic Kingdom, but were new to Disneyland guests. Guests hear Peter Pan saying, Come on, everybody, here we go at this point, the ship flies out of the nursery window and over moonlit London. Not much has changed. Lights from Tinkerbell twinkle all around. Below guests are miniature versions of some of London's famous landmarks, including St. Paul's Cathedral, Big Bend, the Tower Bridge, and the Thames River. Then, going past the second star to the ride and straight on till morning, the pirate ships reach Neverland, where guests pass some of its landmarks, including the Indian Village, a glowing volcano, giant octopus, Fish Color 3, the Lost Boys Camp, Mermaid Lagoon, and Skull Rock. As guests fly past Skull Rock, they see the decks and masts of Captain Hook's pirate galleon. In this version... Hook and Peter Pan cross blades on the ship's bowsprit, and with TikTok waiting below. The pirate ships glide across the bow past the Indian camp on a cliff. Then it flies back across the stern where Peter and the darling children stand triumphantly at the ship's wheel. And before exiting the crash doors, Captain Hook is seen astride the crocodile with a panicked Mr. Smee in his rowboat. A difference from the Magic Kingdom version is that the Mermaid Lagoon and Hangman's Tree are past the crash doors, as the ships return to the loading/unloading area. So, so this is this is now our more familiar version of Peter Pan.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Good so changes. do you feel this one was an improvement? Yeah, it changes. Mm, I, so. I, I, without you know being on the. I think, yeah. I I think so. I think it's good improvements all around. Maybe Mm -hmm. tighter, a little bit more entertaining. Mm -hmm. But then we saw
0: a lot more changes on February 2nd, 2015. The attraction closed for refurbishment. It was originally scheduled to reopen on May 21st, 2015, but that was pushed back to July 1st, 2015. So when it opened... We saw new audio-animatronic figures of Wendy, John, and Michael now flying above John's bed in the nursery. Previously, John and Michael were sitting in John's bed with Wendy sitting on a chair next to them. Tinkerbell is flying in the nursery spreading pixie dust. A new London town was built, and new special effects included Peter Pan and the children landing on the face of Big Ben, as they did in the film. We see the second star to the right explode with magic. The waters of Neverland scenes are illuminated with new media to come alive, sparkling and shimmering. The lava flows more menacingly, and the rainbow shimmers. A new Tiger Lily figure was added in the water. And the sword-fighting scenes of Captain Hook and Peter Pan are more animated. At the end, Peter Pan and the Darling Children fly home on a ship with a liberal sprinkling of sparkling pixie dust by Tinkerbell. Nana in the Nursery is still from the original 1955 attraction, along with the statue of Admiral Nelson that's in London town. So I like that they still have uh, a couple of things from the original yeah. 1955 version. So this is now the current version of the, um, of our Peter Pan attraction at Disneyland. And I, I love it. I think the additions they did in 2015 were wonderful.
1: Yes. I, and kind of, you know, I, I did go on pre-2015 multiple times, but still not, still not something I was as familiar with. Like, the, of all the times I wrote it pre- 2015, I had two memories one when i i went to disneyland in 1999 and my dad and sister went off and rode matterhorn for the second time but i i insisted that my mom and i ride peter pan's flight so we could see how it was different at disneyland versus uh, walt disney world and so i so that time sticks out to me a lot and i can i can still remember it like it was yesterday and then getting to ride it with Kylie, uh, one on our first big trip out to Disneyland together—that that memory sticks in my mind too. So I I've ridden since 2015. I've ridden more times than I ever rode previously, but I do think the changes they made in 2015 uh, make this attraction so much more worth the wait than it was for me before, mm-hmm. and it's still it. it if if they took a lot of those changes implemented them at magic kingdom i find i feel like that would be then the ultimate ultimate version and then Mm -hmm. adding in some of the stuff that you already mentioned too but disneyland's version right now is definitely it's definitely a step up from what it was and before it wasn't that bad either (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i agree
0: what magic kingdom got its update too in 2014 Uh, The Magic Kingdom version was upgraded to include an updated indoor queue. And to accommodate the new queue, the old restrooms were removed. The new queue starts by entering into a corridor with interactive murals, and it then leads guests into the Darling family residence with a special emphasis on the nursery. Um Tinkerbell can be seen flying throughout the room and interacting with different items. There are interactive shadow elements as well, which includes bells you can ring, flying butterfly, and Peter Pan himself, or at least his shadow. Uh, This new cue has an extremely high attention
1: to detail. Uh, What do you think of this cue? I have honestly only done it once, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any... I there was five times I swear I tried and maybe I'm like making tall tales and it was only three the last time I told this story, but I have tried so many times to go through Peter Pan's flight and go through the extended queue mm-hmm. and every time I do it's blocked off and I don't get oh to go gosh. through it so I've only seen it once or like at after hours events they loop around it because the lines are so short that I just always mm-hmm. miss it. So the one time I went through it absolutely loved it thought it was the perfect mm-hmm. perfect way to start that story but i don't i just don't get to see it enough and of course if you do score a fast pass you skip it entirely
0: yeah 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 it's i think it's charming i really like it and uh i know this is the era when they were trying to make cues more interesting and interactive and winnie the pooh got his and uh, and a few other cues you know soren got an interactive queue and I think space Mountain did yes and, and yes. a few others so that I think this was the best
1: out of the ones that I've seen so far I yeah I, I would definitely agree with that it was it was uh, it was kind of like they took the idea with this queue instead of trying to make it necessarily interactive they they made it closer to how they build all queues now and try to have this the story come alive as starting with the queue and I like that I, it's one of my favorite yeah. favorite trends that have, have started with queues over the past years
0: yeah and guests waiting in the Peter Pan's flight queue can also play a game exclusive to this attraction on the Play Disney Parks app or at least they could I don't know if it's still around I've never played it I'm not big on playing games on apps when I'm in the park but I know that is a thing
1: drains the now. phone yeah.
0: <laughs> so now, except for Hong Kong, oh, Hong Kong Disneyland just got <clears throat> the short end of the dark ride stick. They're being built. Their only dark ride attraction, besides it's a small world, if you consider that a dark ride, is um, Winnie the Pooh, and they didn't even get the good one. <laughs> you know, they, I mean, they didn't get Tokyo Disneyland's. Happened. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, All of the Walt Disney Castle Parks have their own version of Peter Pan's Flight. They're all located within Fantasyland at all five parks, and each attraction welcomes guests aboard a magical flying pirate galleon. Now, Peter Pan's Flight at Tokyo Disneyland is very close to the Magic Kingdom version. Uh, The major difference is that the language in Tokyo Disneyland is Japanese. In early 2016, the attraction was renovated to include new digital effects, a new Neverland scene was added where guests now fly over the island of Neverland at nighttime before flying past the Lost Boys' hideout, the Mermaid Lagoon, and the Indian Camp. The Neverland scene, though, is not in the detail that we have either at Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom. And, and yeah, th- this is a very nice Peter Pan flight attraction, but the, uh, there's, I don't know, it's nothing... Ex- I didn't feel it was anything extraordinary. I'll see it one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah you will. One day. But, well, you better hurry because on June 14th, 2018, the Oriental Land Company, the owner of the Tokyo Disney Resort, announced a large scale expansion of Tokyo Disney Sea. The expansion will cost about 250 billion yen, which at the time I'm writing this is about. $2.27 billion, and the project will take over the surface parking area behind Tokyo Disneyland across from the Sheraton Hotel. The new expansion will be a new Disney Seaport and will feature three new mini lands, each with a different theme and ride. There will also be a new hotel built inside the park. So these little theme mini lands um, are Arendelle which will feature a boat ride, which sounds similar to the Epcot ride, and a new restaurant inside Anna and Elsa's Castle, which sounds similar to Be Our Guest. The Tangled area will also feature a boat ride, in which guests will follow Rapunzel to the Lantern Festival and relives her best day ever. There will also be a Snuggly Duckling restaurant, and Peter Pan will feature an updated version of Peter Pan's Flight and will include 3D imagery and music of the film. A second attraction will immerse guests in a world of the Pixie Hollow and will shrink them down to the size of Tinkerbell and her friends. There will also be a Neverland restaurant as well. So, in, an interesting addition to
1: Disney Sea. Yeah, uh you're you're right. I uh I probably uh, I probably won't then uh get to see Peter Pan's flight as you knew it. So that's a bummer, but okay.
0: (laughs) Well, no word on what the plans are for the existing Peter Pan's flight at Tokyo Disneyland, but they are currently constructing new attractions based on Big Hero 6 and Beauty and the Beast. The Beauty and the Beast attraction
1: looks amazing. Yeah, uh, that's an understatement. It (laughs) looks just next level. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, someday I want to revisit <clears throat> the Asian parks and uh, when they are done with all of their updates since they're all expanding.
1: Yeah, I... You know, I, am, I... I have to assume that with a lot of the issues that the United States has been having that the, the expansions of Super Nintendo World at, uh, at our domestic parks are going to take a little while. I mean, Hollywood will definitely get theirs uh, sooner than later, but Universal Orlando, it feels like it's going to be forever now until the new park is built. So Mm -hmm. uh, considering it's still on time for Tokyo once that that park opens up and it looks beautiful, I think I'll definitely uh, await. Once that's, that'll open up now, and then once they kind of work out everything at at tokyo disney with the expansion and such then i think i'll finally give in and and make the the long trek and try to hit my my last four parks there
0: yeah yeah you'll you'll love it so maybe the dis will do another trip that would be good i would anyway <laughs> <laughs> the exterior Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland Paris more closely resembled Disneyland California's. Their pirate ship galleons have two bench seats to accommodate larger parties. The interior is closer to Disneyland California's, with the exception that the language is in French. So now you've been on this one, Craig. So what are your thoughts on this one?
1: I... Um, I was actually kind of bummed. I didn't realize until I wrote it how little dialogue actually is in the attraction. So, uh, from the perspective of going over to to France and you know wanting to to hear a lot of French being spoken, you know there there's two moments I think in the attraction where we get mm-hmm. some French dialogue, and that's that's it. It all happens very quickly. So, I for me it's I. I I actually I I will I, I agree that it's very much closer to Disneyland's but then on top of that with Disneyland's only being the two seater versus this being the two benches and having four people like I did have when I, I went on it in in France I had another two uh, ladies on the back bench with me as I was filming and sitting straight up, and I felt bad about it. So I, I do have to <laughs> knock it for that—that that it could be a bad experience if you're put with another stranger on that attraction. But mm-hmm. overall, it's it's okay. It's just it 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 needs it needs some some uh, it needs a little bit of tender loving care from when I was there. But that's a that's a problem that all of the Paris attractions face from time yeah. to time well I know in 2016 the attraction was refurbished
0: with new LED black lights and fresh coats of paint and for this project black light paint specialists from Walt Disney World Resort were brought in to assist the French teams Uh, Jim Crouch, principal color and paint specialist at Walt Disney Imagineering at the Disneyland California Resort supervised this collaboration during its six weeks so scene by scene the painters invigorated the colors throughout the attraction and original projectors some in use since 1992 were upgraded with wave stimulating programs to match the like new decor the attractions props and figures were repainted and refurbished in the central shops workshop the exterior of the building was freshened up including the woodwork and paving in the queue area and a new covered and heated shelter was also built for cast members so and that's the program that's been going on throughout the park Um, Mm -hmm. I think like um Big Thunder Railroad had opened just shortly before our return, as well as um, their haunted mansion, uh, which yeah. is um, Phantom oh gosh, Manor. Phantom Manor had just reopened as well. Yep. So after years of neglect. <laughs> <laughs> <So. clears throat> okay, I thought though, "You Can Fly" was in French in I, maybe... in that attraction
1: i'll go back and watch my video again but i don't remember it being no infer- maybe i just got a part that was in english i might, I might be i
0: might be wrong you know but uh, i don't know i watched your video too but i don't remember you know so um anyway um okay the newest version is at shanghai disneyland and you'll also walk through an interactive queue and board this one it's in the garden um and uh, they're interactive cue. You're walking through like a, a garden in London or a park. And then you board your galleon in a London park. As you embark to fly above the clouds, Tinkerbell gives you a farewell wave, but has to avoid a frog that thinks the pixie dust, the, the little pixie is his evening meal. And as you, so she's darting around as his, he's shooting out his tongue. It reminds me of a scene from Princess and the Frog. As you fly above London, your ship turns left and the windows to the nursery open and you enter the nursery where Peter Pan is flying and shaking pixie dust off Tinkerbell onto the darling children. And John and Michael have already taken flight and are giggling and Wendy is getting ready to fly. As you exit the nursery out of the opposite window and fly over London town, a floating Nana waves you goodbye, just like in the film. You fly over London with Big Ben as Peter and the Darling Children fly alongside in the night sky. You can fly as in English, but the character dialogue is in Chinese. And off in the distance, you can see the sparkling second star to the right, and you catch a glimpse of Neverland. And uh, as you turn a corner and fly over Neverland Island, you can see the sparkling rainbow, Captain Hook's pirate ship in Pirate Cove, skull rock and you hear the sounds of beating drums after circling the island the ship flies between palm trees and foliage towards the glowing face of skull rock but we are inside we're in the grotto and Tinkerbell is on a rocky ledge trapped inside a lantern and this is a um, projection of Tinkerbell inside the lantern so she's flying all around as we go past the face of Skull Rock and turn to the left, we come upon the scene in the film where Peter Pan is tricking Mr. Smee to let Tiger Lily go by mimicking Captain Hook's voice as he talks into his hat. And we can see the shadow of Hook climbing up towards the reclining Peter. And Peter is an audio-animatronic figure, but Captain Hook's shadow is a, is a projection. It's, it's moving and climbing. In the next scene, we come upon the Hook and Peter Pan sword fighting scenes on the bow sprint of the galleon, with the Darling Children tied to the mast and the crocodile in the water below, waiting for the loser to become his meal. Now, the Darling Children and TikTok are audio-animatronic figures, but Hook and Peter are animated projections. And as we fly over the ship... Mr. Smee and the pirates are on the stern with Jane walking the plank, and they are also audio-animatronic figures with limited motion. And our pirate ship crosses over the ship again, and we see a shadow of Peter Pan fly across with Hook chasing him, and their, flight continues, or their fight continues, but they're on the other side of the sail, so we only see their animated shadows. And Hook's misstep leads him to falling off the ship and into the water. And that leads us to the next scene where he he is standing precariously on the crocodile's jaws with Mr. Smee nearby in a rowboat. So they, they continue that storyline and explain how Captain Hook got into the crocodile's jaws. We then fly through the Forest of Neverland and find... Peter Pan and Darling Children safe and sound. Peter points up and Tinkerbell comes flying by, sprinkling pixie dust on our ship. And then we see Captain Hook's pirate galleon flying up into the night sky, also sparkling with pixie dust. We fly close by the clock face of Big Ben, which opens up into a lagoon with croaking frogs and the unloading area. So this is quite an amazing attraction. Um, The Shanghai Disneyland version contains a few scenes not in the other versions, and it is the most technically advanced and lush. It relies heavily on projections, which seems to be a trend in more recent Disney theme park attractions.
1: Based on what you said, yeah, I I totally get that. I have not watched any videos on this because I am... I am definitely that type of person that I want to experience stuff I haven't seen before in person before I actually mm-hmm. I before like I want to see it and with my own eyes before I go back and watch videos over and over again and so I, I avoid stuff I haven't seen. This sounds really cool though. This sounds it is like this sounds like something that I would I would lose my mind over and has me. <laughs> very very interested so not not enough to go and watch a video of it i still want to see it myself but uh it's it i i'm very very uh intrigued by it and i can't say that about a lot of dark rides mm-hmm. you will love this it it is
0: wonderfully done and i rode this a uh, few times and um it's beautifully rendered. You know, I still prefer, you know, the original because I always love the originals. But yeah. um, this is a stunning upgrade. As long as all the projections and special effects are working, because it's heavy on that, as are a lot of the attractions in Shanghai. But um, they really tell the story nicely in this with, with that technology. so And now we are going to step out of our pirate ship, go into the Fantasyland Courtyard, and explore our next attraction, which is This Week in Disney History. Okay, Craig, well, this is um, the week of July 5th, and you know how the past few weeks I've been saying, oh my gosh, there was so much going on, it was just so hard to pick. Yeah, well, you know what? that ended this week it was it was hard to find stuff it was i was really scraping you know the the disney history archives for for things for this week i guess everybody went on vacation i don't know it's <laughs> anyway. a beautiful time of the year to go on vacation i guess so all right so for july 5th the Fox Midland Theater chain officially launches a weekly event for all boys and girls. What is the name of this
1: event? I'm gonna guess that it's the Mickey Mouse Club. That is right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't put in the year, did I? Oh my you goodness, didn't. But I just I based forget. on the fact that it was kind of old-fashionedy sounded an actual chain yeah, like that. A- it was. Yeah, and this was in like um, I think it was in like
0: 1934 if I remember correctly, something like that. Um, yeah, it is. It's the Mickey Mouse Club. The, the club will meet on Saturday mornings all across the United States. And um, But, you know, you got to hand it to Walt and Roy because this was when theaters were still segregated. And Walt and Roy would not give their okay in this unless um, this was open to all children, no matter who they were, and that they were not segregated. So and theater owners are just fine with it. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So okay, July sixth. Walt and Roy Disney put down a four hundred dollar deposit on a lot in the Silver Lake district of Los Angeles, California, on July sixth, nineteen twenty-five. Oh, good, I got the date this one. Mm-hmm. Um, they plan to build a new animation studio. What will be the street address of this studio?
1: I- oh. I'm not going to get the numbers. I, I know it's the Hyperion Studio. I just don't uh-huh. know the numbers.
0: Yep, it's twenty-seven nineteen Hyperion Avenue, and this and the original single-story building will serve as the Walt Disney Studio for the next fifteen years. Of course, they will add on uh, to this building for quite a few years. So, and now, of course, it's a Gelson's where you can go and buy. Your Mickey Mouse ice cream bars and whatever else is there. The perfect world. Yes. Okay, July 7th. Animator and technical genius Ub Iwerks passed away at the age of 80 in Burbank, California on July 7th, 1971. First meeting Walt Disney in 1919, Iwerks contributed to many of the early Mickey Mouse classics. He also invented the first multi-plane camera in 1933. A device that used four layers of flat artwork before a horizontal camera to give animation depth. Ub used parts from another machine to build the multiplane camera. What did he cannibalize to build the multiplane camera?
1: Hmm. I feel like I know this one, but I'm, it's not coming to me right now. I don't know. Well, Bob Gurr would have loved this because Ub built the camera
0: out of parts from an old Chevrolet automobile. (laughs) That's great. Isn't that amazing? What a genius. I mean, an amazing man. Okay, July 8th, radio and voice actor Bill Thompson, the voice of Mr. Smee... This is why of course I have this in here. In Peter Pan. He was also King Hubert in Sleeping Beauty and Uncle Waldo in The Aristocats. He's born in Terre Hut, Indiana on july eighth, nineteen thirteen. His Disney credits Also include Alice in Wonderland, Melody, uh, um, Toot, Whistle, Plunk and Boom, Hooked Bear, The Story of Enniberg USA, and How to Have an Accident in the Home, which is also released on this day in 1956. Thompson's most famous voice creation actually is for an MGM Cartoon Studio character created by Tex Avery. And we've talked about this character. What is the name? Of this character, um, he's one of my favorites. I, it's not in the Disney stable.
1: I'm gonna say, just I, I don't think I actually knew this information, unless it's something that I had in my head and lost it. But just based on the voice and Tex Avery, I'm gonna say Droopy. Droopy Dog. You're right. It is Droopy Dog. Isn't that amazing?
0: Mr. Smee is Droopy Dog. Yeah, it, I always find that fascinating. You know, like, was it last week, the magic mirror in Snow White? is also the head angel in, in that Jimmy Stewart classic, The Name Always Escapes Me. Yeah, it's a wonderful life. So, um, yeah. It's a wonderful life. I always wanted to say it happened one night. Uh, I don't know. Also a good movie. <laughs> yes, it is a good movie. So, anyway. Yeah, I find that fascinating, but um, I love Droopy Dog. I wish there was a streaming service that had the Droopy Dog series. Yeah, there but... must be someone who's bought
1: MGM's Cartoon Studios um, uh, material. I want to say they released it on Blu-ray already. They some of his mm-hmm. cartoons. I'm I'm not positive on huh. how many, Probably. but I want to say they've been released on Blu-ray. I could be completely wrong on that, but. At the very least, at least you can you can watch Droopy Dog for just a, a couple seconds as the elevator operator yeah. who framed Roger Rabbit.
0: Yeah, so. I was so happy when he was in that. So. Okay, July 9th. For the first time in its history, Walt Disney theme parks and attraction closed an attraction that required a separate ticket on July 9th, 1999. What is the name of this attraction? it's not quite a park, but it sort of could could have been considered one.
1: Hmm. um Can you repeat the question one more time? I'm not sure I sure. understood it. Sorry. So sure.
0: for the first time in its history, Walt Disney theme parks and attraction closed an attraction or a park, let's say. That required a separate ticket on July 9th, 1999. What is the name of this attraction or
1: park? Gotcha. Um, I should say they closed it down. (laughs) I got it this time. It it Mm -hmm. registered a little bit more clearly. I'm going to say it was uh, Discovery Island. Absolutely correct. Discovery Island at Walt Disney World, this 11-acre zoo whose attendance has
0: been hurt by the 1998 opening of Disney's 500-acre Animal Kingdom, closed 25 years after it opened. And the closure of Discovery Island means an end to Disney's second oldest Central Florida attraction and marks the first time the company has closed one of its ticketed attractions. I know when Carol and I went, it was always part of like our package, you know, the, the, um, that we bought and it would include
1: admission to um, Discovery Island. And I went twice. So, and mm-hmm. it was interesting, but not. I, I think the two times that we went, it was on our pool days. So it was just a quick, oh, we'll take a trip over and go see it.
0: Yeah, I know. Carol and I went on our honeymoon. And then we went... I know we went with the children once. And then... um, Yeah, then I think that was it. So yeah, we went a couple of times too. Okay, July 10th. The Kansas City Star reported on July 10th, 2000, that the Walt and Lily Disney Foundation have pledged funds to refurbish a building in Kansas City. What is the significance of this building?
1: Um I'm guessing and this is a wild guess it's the the first office studio that that Walt had maybe absolutely it is the original animation studio of Walt
0: Disney For nearly a decade, Thank You Walt Disney Inc. has been fighting to set up a Walt Disney Museum in Kansas City. The $450,000 pledge by the Walt and Lily Disney Foundation is contingent on whether the Thank You organization can match the amount they've their the refurbishment has been sort of slow, but they've done a remarkable job. This isn't restoration; they have rebuilt this building uh the first photos I saw of it i i don't even think there were four walls standing <laughs> in it, and I don't think there was a second floor <laughs> I really don't which is where walt's office was his studio was, or if there was a second floor, it was only partial. Yeah and um there might have been but it was unsafe so the last photo i looked up this is a few months back as i'm starting to plan a road trip that i was hoping to do this summer but it'll be next summer um i checked it out and it looked like it had its four walls and and it's all brick and you know its roof and all that kind of stuff but they still have a ways to go it looked like i'll have to check up on it yeah let's see Okay, July 11th. On July 11th, 1955, with less than a week before Disneyland's grand debut, horticulturalist Jack Evans receives a memo dated on this same day from Joe Fowler, who is in charge of leading Disneyland's construction. The memo asks when a particular flower bed will be planted. Which flower bed do you think Joe Fowler is concerned
1: about? I'm going to assume the. That- Flower bed in front of the train station, but
0: mm-hmm. and what, and what is that
1: called? What do we call that? What do we call that flower bed? I am going to <laughs> probably sound weird that I don't know it, but I mean it's it's the Mickey face. Yeah, uh-huh. I think people refer to it as
0: floral Mickey. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. It's the floral and floral Mickey. Uh, which you're right. It's it's at the it's the flower beds at the park entrance. It has not been planted, and the memo from Joe Fowler reads: "When are you going to plant the Mickey Mouse in the entrance? Looks to me like the time is getting pretty late." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would say so. <laughs> but it got planted. It sort of reminds me when they were um, what they were they were rolling out the the grass, the turf at the Contemporary by Carlight. Like the night before the resort was opening, and and then you know they said um, green side up. So the only instructions <laughs> they were given because they had everybody out there, yeah, doing it. It wasn't just the horticultural department. So anyway, all right. Well, you didn't do
1: too badly. It wasn't the worst. It wasn't the best. Yeah, it was a lean week. I got desperate there. <laughs> I I liked your questions. I liked them.
0: Well, Peter Pan's Flight was an opening day attraction at Disneyland, and after 65 years, it remains one of the most popular Fantasyland attractions, not only at Disneyland, but at every park it's at. Why does it appeal to guests of all ages and backgrounds? Walt Disney once said, Too many people grow up. That's the real trouble with the world. Too many people grow up, they forget they don't remember what it's like to be 12 years old. Well, I think we enjoy this attraction because it connects with our inner child that yearns for adventure, escapism, and childlike wonder. In a world in which we are besieged by negativism through the news and social media, Peter Pan's flight transports us to Neverland, where we can cheer on our heroes, experience adventure, and be filled with with joy and wonder. So, Craig, what 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 is it about this attraction that appeals to
1: you? And why why do you think it appeals to us after sixty five years? I think the uniqueness of it, especially when we're talking about that that sense of flying. There's not a lot of attractions out there that you know you can be a, a young a young kid and go on it and feel like you truly are taking off and when you're that perfect age and experiencing it for the first time, you don't you don't notice that it's hanging onto a bar hovering over you. You feel like you are legitimately flying. And honestly I like I enjoy aspects of Peter Pan, but as I get older there's more and more that I dislike about the movie as a whole and it's not it's not one of my favorites anymore but as as a kid there was a lot to it that just that really really clung to to my brain and I don't know if it was the colors and the music which I still think you know with the exception of of one song I I'd say a lot of the music is really solid but it's just I feel like Peter Pan it's that it can be this really special experience when you hit it at the right time. And I feel like most people I ever talk to about Peter Pan's Flight that truly love it and get it, usually it all goes back to their childhood. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that's the 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 only people that, that get it. There's plenty that you know, came to love it as they were an adult and still think it's special. So they're out there too, but I think the most passionate people I know are the ones who've just been obsessed with the movie and the attraction since they were young. And I and that's that's what's endearing about it. It's it's almost up there with with the stuff like It's a Small World in Dumbo and the teacups that I feel mm-hmm. like people people know about it outside of Disney that you can you can fly with Peter Pan at Walt Disney World. So or Disneyland or any Disney park. So I think that's why it, yeah. it sticks through with audiences.
0: I agree. Yeah, I think it's very well said. Yeah. And even if you're adult riding for the first time, again it goes back to connecting with your inner child. So that you are you are young again, I think when you ride this attraction, and that's why we visit the parks. Really, it, it, we're young again, and we're, we're carefree again when we're in the parks. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, this weekend, the United States celebrates the anniversary of the signing of our Declaration of Independence, and a document that changed the world and led to the creation of our nation. And as we gather to celebrate with barbecues, fireworks, and watching Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, it seems like a good time to reflect upon these excerpts from President Abraham Lincoln's speeches that have been used in the Disneyland attraction Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. In the president's um, sanitary fair address at Baltimore in April eighteenth, eighteen 1864, he said, The world has never had a good definition of the word liberty, and the American people just now are much in want of one. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. In his speech at Edwardsville, Illinois on September 11, 1858, he said, what constitutes the bulwark of our liberty and independence? It is not our frowning battlements, our bristling sea coasts. These are not our reliance against tyranny. Our reliance is in the love of liberty which God has planted in our bosoms. Our defense is in the preservation of the spirit which prizes liberty as the heritage of all men, in all lands everywhere. Destroy this spirit, and you have planted the seeds of despotism around your own doors. When he was um, speaking at the Young Men's Lyceum address in, in January 27th, 1838, he said. At what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years." At what point then is the danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all times or die by suicide. And finally, in his Cooper Institute address of February 27, 1860, the president said, neither let us be slandered from our duty by false accusations against us or frightened from it by the menaces of destruction to the government nor of dungeons to ourselves let us have faith that right makes might and that in that faith let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it so definitely an attraction that is um, always worth a visit Absolutely. And so from all of us at connect, from all of us at connecting with Walt to all of you, we wish you a happy Independence Day. So I referred to several books, articles and websites during my research for this episode including um, the books. The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway, and Disneyland Inside Story by Randy Bright. Also a magazine, the e-ticket number 26, Peter Pan, Captain Hook, and Frank Thomas. A couple of articles on WikiWand, Peter Pan's Flight, and Inside the Magic. It was an op-ed, Why Peter Pan's Flight Remains One of Disney's Longest Wait Times. Websites. Well, to watch a lot of these attraction videos, I went to our own the Diz, where you can um, you can ride all of these these uh, m- many of these attractions, courtesy of Craig. So thank you, Craig. And uh, and Disney Parks behind the scenes of Peter Pan's Flight at Disneyland Park with Walt Disney Imagineering, and Disneyland News Paris: A bright new day for Peter Pan's Flight. And a new site to me that I came across, Wikizer, Uh, they they had a little site on Peter Pan's flight. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you?
1: As always, you can find me on the different random shows on the dis unplugged podcast network like the walt disney world edition the universal edition best and worst of walt disney world all all that good stuff and then always on my personal facebook twitter and instagram at teleclaster michael what about you you can send me messages at michael at wd
0: Winfo.com, Twitter, I'm at bowling 121 Facebook, i Michael Bowling, Instagram, Michael that is, And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios as Imagineers, and about Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at com. And you can learn about all this as well in past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy.